Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yes, yes. Welcome in to the Tim McKernan Show. I am your host, Tim McKernan, alongside my producer, the great John Seymour, a.k.a. the Seamaster. Welcome in to another edition of the program. Hopefully you have uh, subscribed, but if you haven't, please do subscribe and really offer a a lovely review, if you would, of our program. Uh, So far, a few episodes in at this point, Gary Pinkel, uh, former Senator Jack Danforth, uh, Derek Gould, Clay Travis... Tioka Jackson, and today Cardinal President of Baseball Operations, John Mozalek. All guests so far on the show with these long-form conversations, and uh, I've really enjoyed doing them, and hopefully you've enjoyed listening to them. If you haven't, and you're just learning about it now, go back and enjoy those. Uh, even if you're not, I've had a lot of people say, I wasn't really a Missouri football fan, but listening to Pinkle was a fascinating interview. A number of people, uh, especially Younger members of the audience really uh, weren't familiar with Jack Danforth um, and really enjoyed that conversation. The Derek Gould uh, back and forth, me and him, baseball nerding out uh, was one we got a lot of positive feedback on. Clay Travis, polarizing figure. Uh, People loved hearing him talk about his career and and how it's gone from college football guy to now uh, also talking politics. And Tyoka Jackson. Uh, the former St. Louis Ram talking about the NFL protests and giving his perspective on it. And if you recall Tyoka from his time in St. Louis, uh, always one of the best interviews, but also incredibly intelligent and giving a perspective that uh, I at least hadn't heard uh, conveyed as well as he conveyed it on our show. So please subscribe on iTunes or whatever podcast platform you use And each episode of our show will just automatically go into your phone and you can listen to it whenever you want. It's the Tim McKernan Show. Just search for it and and subscribe if you would. And if you could, a a positive review if you think that it merits that. Uh, I would like to think you'll enjoy this conversation. Uh, Had a chance to sit down with the Cardinal President of Baseball Operations, John Mazalak, at his office and talk about all kinds of things. Now, I would say for about the first half of the interview, uh, it was 2017 slash 18 off season specific, uh, talking about the pitching coach hire, which of course is really, uh, he said, uh, going to be coming here very soon. You'll hear the details on that and what they're looking for. Uh, and then how they view the situation with their bullpen, which he felt like was the biggest problem in 2017 
the impact bat, the, the official phrase of the 2017 offseason, and then also where they are on starting pitching. And I think you'll be able to read between the lines on Lance Lynn's time in St. Louis uh, based on his answer. Uh, all of that is covered. But then we get into some things that are that are a, a little different in the sense that uh, they're certainly Cardinal-related topics, but they're not kind of the, the, the questions that you check off the box when you're doing an interview with the president of baseball operations, because usually when you're sitting down on the phone with the president of baseball operations, you have about 10 to 12 minutes and you got to cover all the bases and then let him go. So with being able to talk to him for about 45 minutes and, and sitting at his office, we got to go into detail on a few other things that I was legitimately really curious about. And I, I would hope that uh, you will find the answers you heard from John Mazalak to be uh, quite intriguing. And, and those really specifically from my standpoint, were how they they went about handling uh, the trade deadline in 2017, because I felt like how they handled the trade deadline in 2017, which was essentially doing nothing, only added to the vitriol from the portion of the fan base that I would describe as really frustrated right now. Um, And I asked him how they kind of decide whether or not to be buyers or sellers, aggressive or passive, whatever the case might be. And so we spent a good amount of time on that. Uh, And then we also discussed at least what I perceive to be, and I don't know how you feel about it, the frustration of the Cardinal fan base. It's my opinion that this is the most frustrated the Cardinal fan base has been since Bill DeWitt has owned the team. So you're going back 22 plus years here. Um, I could be wrong on that, but if you just do the history, uh, you think of uh, the first year Tony LaRusso, they were a win away from the World Series somehow, and you look at that roster compared to some of the other rosters, you're shocked that that team was a win away from playing the Yankees for the World Championship. And then 97, 98, 99, you had the home run show with Mark McGuire, and then really uh, 2000 through 2006, you had playoff teams minus one year, and you had a World Championship in there, and another pennant in there, and a bunch of NLCSs. Down years in 07 and 08, but uh, they still were competitive and they were fresh off a World Series. So I think they bought time. 2009 was a very good team that got swept out of the playoffs despite having two of the top three Cy Young finishers and Adam Wainwright and Chris Carpenter. 2010 competitive, but right back with the thrilling 2011 season and World Championship. And then NLCS in 12, NLCS in 13 and a pennant, NLCS in 14 and NLDS in 15 with 100 wins. So the expectations got very, very high, understandably so when you rattle off that kind of success. But then not only has the team not made the playoffs in 2016 and 2017, you have a couple things going on. The play on the field has been fundamentally disappointing and not really matching up with what Cardinal fans became uh, used to over the last 15 to 17 years. And then the front office there's a perception they haven't been doing much. I kind of disagree with that because they did go out and get the guy that everybody was talking about going into last year's offseason, Dexter Fowler. I personally really like Dexter Fowler. I don't think he warranted the deal he got. I think they had to overpay to get him here. Uh, and I don't think that contract will be viewed, viewed favorably when it is reviewed at the end of the contract. Could be wrong. Hope I'm wrong. And they also spent a bunch of money on Brett Cecil. I know that's almost like a bad word right now for Cardinal fans, Brett Cecil being two words. But uh, they did spend a bunch of money. 
So when they didn't do anything at the deadline, it compounded the feeling that the team wasn't making moves to win now with the front office. And when they're making uh, the kind of money they are with the TV deal and the attendance they have, Cardinal fans, I think, are now at a peak frustration point for the first time in the DeWitt era. So we discussed that with John Mazalek. Also discussed addressing a report in the St. Louis Post-Dispatch about tension in the Cardinal clubhouse and Dexter Fowler being the last one in and the first one to leave and Jed Jerko and ping pong and chess games and stuff going on in the clubhouse. Got John Mazalek's thoughts on that. And then really spent a good amount of time on the criticism of Mike Matheny and why Mazalek thinks he gets as much criticism as he does. So there was a good portion of this interview on that as well. So I would like to think, uh, in addition to that, you'll get a, get a feel for where the Cardinals are this offseason, but also Mazalek's opinions on those topics. So hopefully you can settle in and enjoy it. And let me make sure that I convey this. Not only please subscribe to the show uh, and support the sponsors, but uh, that I make sure that I let you know that we're doing this from the Ryan Kelly Home Loan Expert Studios. Ryan Kelly uh, has uh, been a loyal supporter of our radio show, The Ryan Kelly Morning After, which has been on in St. Louis since 2004. And now he is a loyal sponsor of the studio naming rights of The Tim McKernan Show. And therefore, if you like what you've heard and you're about to listen for the first time and you like it, please make sure that you support the sponsors. And Ryan Kelly is our studio sponsor Did you know the average American household has over $16,000 in credit card debt and over 70% of households have the equity in their home to get rid of it right now? With a cash out refinance with the Home Loan Expert team, you can get those credit cards paid off once and for all. Go to thehomeloanexpert.com. If you're in St. Louis, the phone number is 314-781-9700. That's 314-781-9700. 781-9700. It's Ryan Kelly, somebody I know and I have sent family members to do business with. So therefore, I can firsthand endorse Ryan Kelly. And if you live in the region, but not in St. Louis, call him 1-800-991-6494, 1-800-991-6494, or go online at thehomeloanexpert.com. It's Ryan Kelly, the loyal sponsor of this podcast studio naming rights. So I gave you an idea of what we have coming up here with John Mazalak. I can tell you it's a 42 minute interview. Settle in and enjoy. And we'll come back and give our thoughts on the interview right after this, ladies and gentlemen, John Mazalak. So here's what I'm thinking. Cause people say, I like to hear your opinions, Tim. And I don't think anybody really cares about my opinion. I know you don't. I'm a hundred percent certain of that. That is accurate. <laughs> but here is what I'm, I think this is the most unique Cardinal offseason since you've been part of this organization? Uh, certainly it's it's an opportunistic offseason. I, I still will always kind of go back in my own mind to 2011 when I knew LaRusso was stepping yeah. down and knew Albert Pujols was going to be a free agent. And we were at a point where we we're coming off a world championship, how we were going to keep that going. And I assure you that was a very, very stressful offseason. I would imagine. Now, fast forward to, to today, and, and clearly we have some things that we, we need to do differently. Um, when you look at, at 2016 and 2017, those outcomes were not how we wanted them to be. And I think the, the one thing that you always have to do in this, this business is welcome change. Welcome doing things differently. And 
So from my perspective, I'm looking at the opportunity to help rebuild our coaching staff, looking at the opportunity to help rebuild this lineup, looking at the opportunity to help rebuild the bullpen, and and perhaps being open to any other types of ideas that, that could ultimately get us back to where we want to be, and that's a world championship caliber team. I know that one of the things that's on the list to do is pitching coach. How is that search going at this moment? So as we stand here right now, it's uh, October 19th. Um, we've been heavily involved in, in interviewing people, trying to understand what that right fit looks like. And, and for us, when you look at where we are, um, I think finding the right person to help support Mike Matheny is the most important thing we can do. Um, you know, clearly when you listen to talk radio shows, when you read blogs or you read uh, uh, what people say about our team and, and our management side of things, you know, we want to improve upon that. We want to welcome modern analytics and how we make decisions. And, and ultimately, we hope we, we find someone we can partner with Mike that works. And we also hope that this partnership welcomes some of these modern techniques to, to help make better decisions. Mm-hmm. Do you have, at this point, a short list? Are we down to two or three? or how is this? We're moving along pretty quickly. Um, my hope is by, definitely by the time we get to November 1, we're ready to announce our staff. Okay. So one of the reasons why I think it's unique, so, and then the difference would be you're coming off a world championship in 2011. You couldn't have any more equity with the fan base for the first time. And I think, I mean, you're always going to have wings of fan bases that are super frustrated, but I feel like there's a large number of Cardinal fans who would consider themselves frustrated uh, going into this off season. And perhaps part of that is a byproduct of all of the success because the expectations have been understandably high based on the track record since the 2000 season. Um, but I do think there is a sense of frustration, and therefore I can't wait to see what they do. They better do something. I can't wait to see what they do. Do you sense that? Well, I, I, I definitely think people, our fan base wants to see us in the postseason. I mean, that's natural, mm-hmm. right? Um, but to, to sit here and just solely react because of, of people screaming, I don't know if that's the right answer either. And a lot of times when you think about appeasing fan bases it tends to be at the moment and then you know depending on what you may or may not do three four five six years from now it could be very punitive decision making i agree with it big time so so what i always try to caution people is is to understand that i would like to think that mr dewitt and myself can be trusted in the sense that we get we're in it for the long haul we're not trying to win the off season what we're trying to do is win the season now, you could argue that we haven't done a very good job on that the last couple of years, and I, I accept that. But it's not exactly like we've had, you know, just tanked years or, or seasons where we're having 60 wins. It's just there's some nuances of the roster that if we had more success in one of those areas, we probably would have been in the postseason. I think one of those, and I, don't, I guess analytic would probably not be the proper term, but when a team does something, I call it doing business emotionally. I try to always separate emotion and just focus on the data, the numbers, and then because those, you know, that's objective. 
and people get caught up in, well, they lost, so we got to do something. And I feel like one of the reasons why the organization's been able to maintain, at the very least being competitive, if not world championships, is because the organization really hasn't, in my opinion, overreacted to an in-the-moment decision that's then been punitive with a contract where you're like, oh my God, we're stuck with this thing for the next however many years, where that's really been a problem for some organizations. Um, would you characterize the decision-making process well, I think most people would would argue that myself and others around her are maybe perhaps too disciplined that we don't yeah. sort of make that knee jerk reaction from time to time. And I, I do think there's a side of me that that feels like being more aggressive, recognizing that markets are changing, recognizing that price points are changing. We need to change with it. And remember, like what I said earlier when we started. The worst thing you ever want to do is think you have it, think you have it figured out. And once you think you have it figured out, guess what? You're probably getting passed. Mm. And so I think internally having our own evolution of how we grow and how we think and how we process, I welcome. Yeah. I, I, I was talking throughout the course of the month of July. Weird conversation to have, but I'll be curious what your reaction is to it. And my thought which I know, again, you made clear, is, is, a, is really at the forefront. Very small. Right. Very <laughs> Closer to zero. <laughs> was, I just don't feel like this team probably is going to be able to compete for a championship this year. Now, you know, I know you can't say it even if you agree or disagree, and you probably wouldn't want to say it anyway. But nonetheless, and I'm looking first at the landscape in the National League, but also just at, at the roster. And then I was curious how the organization handles things when July 31st rolls around. Like, what is the formula, for lack of a better term? You look at and try to address what you have and then what probability you think that team can go on a run. And then do you also look at, wow, we have a team in Los Angeles doing something that at that point hadn't been done. They slipped a bit in August and September, but uh, and then but your division's up for grabs. So, yeah. so it was. I felt like it was a weird spot, and it almost would have been better off if the team had fallen a little further out of it because then you could have made a move and not had fans going bat crap if you did. So so, so I like to always think about these moments in time and, and, and not in a right or wrong, yes or no vacuum. In other words, we approach the 31st as if somebody really wants one of our players, come, come and get it. Mm -hmm. And so we look at everything as an arbitrage. And there were also some players that we chased that would have changed the, the complexity of how you saw our team or the dynamics of our team. And so ultimately for us, we just weren't able to swing a deal where we thought giving something up for the future made a lot of sense because we just didn't feel like we were getting the value. And then we also felt like some of the things that we were chasing to get, the asking price wasn't worth it. And these are always tough because the trading deadline is a lot like the offseason. People want you to win that moment. People want you to do something. And look, in hindsight, we wish we could have addressed our bullpen because losing Trevor Rosenthal two weeks later, that hurt. And, and when you look at one-run games or late-inning game losses mm -hmm. to this team – I mean, that's painful. And that's the difference between, you know, maybe qualifying for the postseason and not. And, you know, when you look back, for sure we would have liked to have had. But at the time, we didn't know Rosie was going down. Yeah. And that was, from my standpoint, the reason why the team had really gotten it together was he solidified the bullpen and then all the roles that were established. Once exactly. He and, and, you know, at the time, Cecil was pitching better. There were a lot of things that were starting to go right. But when you lose your closer, it's tough. And it's and, a domino effect. 
you know, I, there, there's a lot of people right now writing about you need that dominant guy at the back of the back of your bullpen. Well, no duh. I mean, like you got to have someone that can finish games. I mean, we get it. Um, and and you know, creating closers is not always the easiest thing to do because a lot of times your best arms are in the rotation at the minor leagues. And I think back to 06 when we stuck Adam Wainwright in the bullpen and magic happened. Um, had that not, maybe we're not world champions. Yeah. I would say probably not with, you know, I mean, that was a shutdown situation. Absolutely. Happy 11th anniversary of games uh, seven in Shea stadium. Did you know, were you aware of that? I hadn't read anything on that today, but uh, thank you. Yeah. See, that's a nice little nerdy thing that I bring to the table here in this podcast. Yeah. Uh, but I, I was looking at the, the numbers on July 31st teams within three and a half games of the division, but way back in the wild card. So then you're in this tough spot. And I think if I'm trying to like figure out why there is frustration, again, I don't want to paint the fan base with a brush, but I feel like it's vocal now is it's like, wow, we fans speaking first person plural for the organization are in it. And the team didn't go out and do anything. I, as a talk show host, totally understood, at least I felt like I understood it, but maybe I'm wrong. Cause I don't know what's going on in, in this office. Um, how did you view it? Do you were like, I want to be aggressive and buy? Or are you like, man, it would be nice if somebody would throw the world at us for Lance Lynn? No, I would tell you that, um, again, we, we treat everything as an arbitrage, but we approach the 31st as, as trying to add. Um, again, couldn't come to a place where we could come to an agreement, obviously, or we would have done something. We were... We, we listened on potential free agents. We listened on some of our bullpen pieces, but... It, we weren't compelled to, to go that direction, yeah. obviously. Right. The, the fact that somebody didn't blow you away for Lance Lynn really surprises me. I feel like that's like an obvious asset for an organization who would be in first place or whatever the case might be. And, and clearly that didn't happen since he finished the year out with, with the Cardinals. Did that surprise you as you guys were going through negotiations? Well, when you look at the sort of the, the starting pitching market at that time, it, there were a couple – players that were moved but they were players with control mm-hmm. i think teams are Quintana, valuing Gray. more than just the two and a half month rental yeah and there 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 are very good examples in the past few years of of perhaps teams overpaying for that rental and then the player moves on mm-hmm. and so i think like people that run baseball teams now are much more aware of 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 what they're actually giving up and is it worth it in the first half of the cardinal run you know, in the last 17 years, the organization was the beneficiary oftentimes of those 31st, or in the case of Larry Walker, a week later after the 31st deadline deals. What has changed where those don't seem like they happen with the rentals? Is it an economics element or is it people a little more sophisticated with the well, the gamble? Well, it's, it's, it's a couple things, but economics, you don't see a lot of teams that are just forced to move money. Right. At, at the time of that era we were very opportunistic on taking those types of contracts and inserting them into our uh, payroll. You're just not seeing that quite as much. Now you're going to see this off season, there'll be a few teams that are going to hit like either the implosion button or the reset button where money's going to move. But for the most part, when you're looking at, at you're getting closer to, to that July 31st deadline, teams are no longer in the panic just to save two months of salary. Most teams are building to play it out and then they're looking on what they can get in return. Uh, But I would say even, you know, last couple of years, there've been a few pretty big name players that have moved 
and a lot of talent's gone the other direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, thinking like the Melanson deal with Washington, yeah. um, you know, that just stands out. And now the Pittsburgh Pirates have a closer for the next six years, and all they gave up was two months of Melanson. Yeah, yeah. And you yeah. see how it, yeah, you see the penalty for that. Those are the, the things you have to internally debate. And if you're Washington, how happy are you with that right now? I would imagine not very. Because then you had to go out and trade for another yeah, closer. Yeah, and that's the spot you're in. Speaking the perpetual of, part. Speaking of closer, you brought up closer. You know, people are saying, oh, well, Greg Highland declined his option in Colorado. That might make sense for the Cardinals. Do you view the solution as somebody who is part of this organization right now, or do you think it is more likely that you are going outside the organization? I would think right now it's probably from the outside if we want to find someone with that dynamic ability to close. Um you know, we certainly feel like we have some young talent in our system that could someday fit that, mm-hmm. but I don't think we have that confidence today. So when you're looking at, at places where I think we can upgrade, I think that's going to come from the outside. Uh, you, you know, I do the show with the great Jim Hayes. Who? The great, I think he's, you, you know him because you follow him on Twitter. You love to tweet at him, at the cat on Fox. Oh, the cat, yeah. I know you might have blocked him. Nice I think, man. I think, I think you blocked him. But he was say we were talking on the show. He goes, I think they're going to get closer, an impact bat, and a starter. And I go, really? You think a starter? I, I'm kind of surprised because I feel like you could just like you, you have surplus. Do you ever really have surplus starting major league pitching? No, but theoretically on paper, surplus starting pitching. Do you consider starting pitching uh, something you're going to be pursuing this offseason? I, I certainly think we won't ignore that market, but I don't think it's first on our priority right. list. Right. So I, I feel like, you know, when you look at how we build this club, I mean, our, our goal is going to be to sort of think about it at that 90-win threshold. And how we get there, it, 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 it may be one of those where it's a very windy road this offseason, mm-hmm. but ultimately we've, we certainly have to check a few boxes to get there because we're currently not there today. If you're ranking the priorities, so we're going starting pitching goes three, if I'm, if I'm mapping this out properly, is impact bat one or is closer one? Boy, I think uh, both are important. Yeah. Um, but I would say when you look back at this past year, finishing the game became our biggest problem. Mm-hmm. So many losses you could look back at and go, oh, my God, just because it's a couple games. You're just talking Absolutely. about a couple games, and that's a tough spot. So on the free agent market, though, impact bat-wise, I just, is that where the organization would turn, or do you realize it's probably going to take trading? I don't know the answer as I sit here today, yeah. but I would, if I had a guess, it feels like this is more of a trade than a uh, free agent market. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. James Carlton Agency. James Carlton Agency, a State Farm insurance agent, a massive team of seven. If you need something, it's going to get done with the James Carlton Agency. As an in-house customer satisfaction specialist for claims, James Carlton and his team have achieved the chairman's circle two years in a row, which is the Lombardi Trophy of State Farm agents. Only two agents in the entire St. Louis area can say that, and the James Carlton agency is one of them. The number, 314-961-4800. You can text QUOTE to 314-961-4800. If you're enjoying our podcast, make sure that you support our sponsors and the James Carlton agency is our newest one. 314-961-4800. That's 314-961-4800. Text quote to James Carlton. I visited him in his office, met his team, and they have a 
huge team, and he prides himself. It's old school, but people respect it. He prides himself on the fact that never, ever are you going to call in and get voicemail during business hours. He always has somebody answering the phones, and that is a refreshing way to do business. James Carlton Agency, that's why they've received that Chairman's Circle Award two years in a row. And like I said, that's the Lombardi Trophy of State Farm Agents. Text QUOTE to 314-961-4800. If your insurance costs a leg and an arm, then call James Carlton State Farm. So let me ask you about the, the manager, because I feel like, and this is something that before he won a pennant here, Tony La Russa uh, dealt with in a big way, uh, because I think some of it was uh, personal makes it sound like a little stronger than I'm intending, but, oh, he's not from here. He lives in the Bay Area. He doesn't eat meat. He drinks wine. He doesn't drink Bush beer. And I remember LaRusso and I had this big interview about this but back when I was like 23. And he's like, where are these questions coming from? Although I think he enjoyed them. Uh, at least he acted like it, kind of like what you're doing right now. You're smiling, but inside I can tell you're, you're, you're theoretically have your... I've your checked system. out. Yeah, you've checked out. <laughs> but Mike Matheny, it's, a, it's such a fascinating thing to me how polarizing Mike Matheny has been become in St. Louis uh, and how much he is the target when when it gets down to it even if you disagree with some of the moments or some of the decisions it's like okay NLCS three wins in the NLCS and 12 pennant and 13 two wins in the World Series 14 in the NLCS 100 wins and 15 and then in playoff contention in both 16 and 17 I don't I, and I don't know what to say. It's, it seems odd to me. I feel like if you guys were to part ways with him, that he would be hired, you know, immediately. And it's not like I'm saying this just because I'm in the Cardinal office. I say this stuff when I'm in my weird radio show. Oh, I'm pretty confident he'd have a job. So so when, when you think about managing, and, and I feel like a lot of times we all are, we, we all feel like we're so invested in our own team or our own game and how decisions are made we get frustrated and you don't have to look back very far to see somebody like Joe Madden get blasted for leaving his closer in the bullpen um, some of the top managers in the game get second guessed it's hard a week ago Joe Girardi was about to be yanked Fired, out of the rocks right <laughs> now he's a win away from the World Series and for multiple reasons not not replaying a play um, second guessing some of his decisions it's it's just it's impossible to please everybody and you sit in in the radio world I, I I hate to say this because I feel like I'm 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 running from a problem I'm not running from the problem at all I get it it's it's an impossible job to do but the the loudest voice is usually the vocal minority those are the people that most complain and those people that complain how would they do the job and I don't think people understand how difficult it is to truly manage a baseball team. I mean, imagine having those 25 egos. Imagine telling one of them they're not playing today or they are playing today. Um, it's, it's a tough act. And then you play nine innings, pinch hit here, hit and run, bunt, leave a reliever in too long, not bring a reliever in, you failed. It's just, it's a, it's, it's a very, very difficult job to do mm-hmm. right now. And so, the way I try to think about this now is is try to make sure that he has the best possible tools to make the best possible decisions. Mm-hmm. Have we done a perfect job in that? Of course not. Are we learning? Are we trying? I hope so. Yeah. I mean, we want to do things differently. As I started off this show by saying, 
we, we get that the current path we're on needs to change. And that's what we're going to try to do. But I would tell you that managing is difficult. And, you know, you think about your own job. And in and, and a lot of ways, you're in the performing business. You get up, you do a show. Some people like it. Some people don't. I think everybody right? likes it. I think everybody likes it. And, and but for you, it's not a section of a newspaper that's dedicated to your performance that day. And for Mike and players, that's what it is. Yeah. It's a tough business and we get it. I mean, but I do feel like the critics tend to to gravitate to his faults far more than whatever we view as his strengths. And and I'm not one of those that, that subscribe to, oh, he's just a great leader or just a, a great motivator. I think he's someone that, that communicates with his players, gets his players to show up. I mean, it is sort of interesting that you know, a guy that gets beat up has never had a losing season. I mean, that's that says something. Well, then that's the that's why I'm kind of fascinated by why he's so. I don't even know. If polarizing is the right word. It's almost just like kind of like you know, like the, the, like it's like a running joke on our show. People email in, kind of like being satirical about the criticism, like little league manager. Well, it's like he's won a pennant and won. You know, I mean, it's just, and again, it's not like I'm ra- waving the Mike Matheny flag. I'm more getting your perspective on the criticism of it because it's. It's pretty intense. Oh, you should read my emails. <laughs> oh, you I, get emails from fans? Oh, That's sure. out there? You want to give out your email address? I do not. <laughs> but my, my, my point is, it's like I, I get people have opinions, but I, I also feel like, you know, to do that job is far more difficult than people think. Yeah. And, and a lot of what is important about that job is stuff we never see. Mm-hmm. But I also recognize that in-game strategy and, and how you manage things is. Right. And so, you know, that's where anything we can do to help better that, we should. So along those lines, uh, there was a column in the Post-Dispatch uh, this month discussing the clubhouse dynamic, which I would think would fall under the umbrella of the manager um, and talking about Dexter Fowler being the last one there, first one to leave. Uh, Jed Jerko's ping pong uh, capabilities, I guess chess. So what did you think of that report? Well, I, I, I feel like it was harsh. I don't know if it was 100% accurate. Um, I, I always hate debating when a columnist takes an opinion because that's the whole thing about being a columnist. You're just trying to show a side of, of what might have been vulnerable or what may need to improve. I do subscribe to strong clubhouses or when you're winning. When you have a team that's struggling or a team that, that didn't get to where they want to go, it's, it's a very good place to start. Mm-hmm. It's saying like the, the, the chemistry or, or how things were going in the clubhouse. But, you know, clearly we, we felt there had to be some change. I mean, we've obviously made some coaching changes already. Um, I'm not saying we're done. And you know, getting to where we need to go, we have, we know we have to do something different. We get that. And, you know, I, for one, think somebody like Dexter actually brought a lot of value to the clubhouse. Um, so you decide who, what side of this you want to be on. Mm-hmm. But, um, I, I felt like, you know, he brought a lot of energy. He brought a different perspective. And I think in the end, he's going to help this clubhouse. Yeah. I remember in 06, uh, Edmonds was telling me this is right at the end of the year and I don't know how well you remember this stuff because I obviously have the nerdy memory about this uh, but the team was kind of falling apart the Astros were close to catching the Cardinals 
And I remember asking Jim, I said, well, what's the problem? And he goes, you really want, because I was doing an appearance on ESPN. They wanted me to ask what was going on with the Cardinals, the collapse. And he goes, you want to know the truth? We don't get along. We never replaced Gridzalonic. And I'm like, wow, Mark Gridzalonic reset. I wasn't expecting that. Uh, you know, and he named a couple things. And the clubhouse is divided here and here and here. And it's a mess. And I can't wait for the season to be over. And so help me, Mo. A month to the day later, he was on the field with that picture of holding up the world championship trophy. And if I remember correctly, he was like the guy that was like giving out like the player of the game or something. Yeah, uh, in San Diego. In San Diego. Began. And then at, at Shea Stadium. So it illustrates that it can change once it can. winning takes place. It, it, it can, but I, I actually remember 06 quite vividly, and there were some personalities in that clubhouse that were big that weren't happy. And when you're playing roughly around 500 baseball, which arguably is what we did this year, mm-hmm. is you know moods can happen. And, and I think that's because usually that's a sign of a good team or some good players because they expect to be better, and they're not. And something has to change. And... You know, I, I, I think about that 06 team and, you know, our better players were sort of limping in. Mm. And then when we got to October, all of a sudden they felt good. Got hot. Perfect um, timing. Absolutely. And, you know, October typically is defined by when do you get hot. Mm-hmm. And if you survive the gauntlet, it's because you were hot. Th- that brings me to something I just read. Tracy Ringlesby just wrote this uh, a couple days ago about potential expansion uh, I don't know how in the loop you are on Montreal getting a team and Portland getting a team. Have you heard tell of this? You have. Don't want to elaborate since it's not no, it's, your it's, department. It's, well, it's I, it's I, not done, of course. No, of course not. And I also think it's it's. I don't know where this is on the momentum mm-hmm. uh, flag, if you will. But you, you know, when you look at at what's happening in our industry, there's still a couple markets that are struggling. And, and so I think they're just trying to find out the right balance between getting some of those markets up and looking at expansion. But right. I do think it's exciting that it's even being talked about yeah. because it means baseball's in a good spot. Absolutely. The reason I bring it up is that would then bring the league to 32 teams if this were to happen and if the franchises that are struggling remain in their cities. And then it would change uh, the playoff format is what they're talking about. This is what Ringles wrote. I don't know how much of that you're aware of. But nonetheless, I'm sure you're aware of at least the discussions. So that gets me to this. There have been a couple of Cardinal teams that regular season-wise were not that great, the 06 team, an 83-win team, and then there were a couple of Cardinal teams that were outstanding in the regular season. I thought 09 was a sick team, but it got swept out by the Dodgers, and the 15 team was a 100-win team. And then that's really the legacy of those teams is what winds up happening in a best-of-five series. So you spend all this time in this office with your cohorts, and I'm curious, what do you think of the playoff system? Well, I, I, I think the current model is pretty exciting. I like the one game play in. I like, I don't mind having the best of five. You wouldn't want to go best of seven? It just depends on, on sort of the bigger picture. Um, like shortening the regular season, possibly? Possibly. Or, or just allowing this. I, I do feel like going, taking baseball into November is not the best optics. So figuring out a way to make that work, I would be all for it. I'm not. I'm not opposed to a five-game series. Would I prefer a seven? You always answer these questions based on how it affects you or how, <laughs> how, how, you, how you did. Yeah, and we're, we're fair people. We're fair people. I think but my point is, is like from an industry standpoint, I feel like the playoffs right now are pretty dynamic. Mm-hmm. And, and for someone that's been part of big runs and short runs and currently a no run <laughs> – you, it, it's sort of fun to tune in. Yeah. It, it really is. And it to me, it goes so fast. I mean, you know, a week and a half ago, we had eight teams. Now we're down to three. Yeah. 
before. Yeah. So right. I mean, it's it's just it's moving. Do you pull for anybody? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I I hit something there. No, I the, hit something there. The, this is great. I hit something. Tell me how you're wearing an L.A. Dodgers cap. <laughs> no, no, no. So so so, you know, you have friends in this business that 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 you, you get to know over time, but you know, in the end, my job and my responsibilities to this organization and. Um, but I do find myself drawn to watching the playoffs. Like some people I know that aren't in it just check out, but I, I kind of like it. So, you know, tonight I'll tune in. Um, do I have a, a vesting interest? The answer is absolutely not. But you react it like you might. Well, I think it's a funny question to me because a lot of people think, oh, I would hate them or I would like that. Or it's like, eh, I don't want bad karma. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, to- I totally understand that. You know, our, our first podcast in this uh, this series was with uh, Missouri football coach Gary Pickle. You know him at all? I don't know. I'm curious how you guys cross paths with other sports and teams. And he and I did cross paths a few times with autism. Oh, fundraisers. really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He uh, he said he got to know Tony Larusa well uh, in his tenure. And one of the things that he would always say, and then we got away from the microphones. He goes, "No, seriously, I never read it." Is he did not read. He just didn't read anything. And so, like, he felt like that was the best way to operate. He didn't read. He was he was briefed by what was going on, but he didn't, like, read the newspaper, didn't read, you know, and go on. How do you handle? Do you block it out, or how do you go about handling? No, I, I, I'm definitely someone that pays attention to what's being written about. Um, do I read? Yes. Um, do I read every single word of every article? No. And I also feel like there's so much more being written today than 20 years ago. It would be a little bit uh, overwhelming. But do I follow what's happening in social media? The answer is yes. And and like I tell people that, you know, there is some value in wisdom of crowds, you know, understanding what our clients want, what our fans want, and what they want to see happen, I think is very real and very valuable. But ultimately, um, I'm not one that that shuns from what people are saying about us. Mm, interesting. Does it ever irritate you? Well, of course. Um, you, you know, you you certainly would rather people agreeing with you, or at least thinking your thought process was accurate. But I do feel like when I I don't I don't like wake up and and read something and just like crumble it up and in frustration. What I do is I've just you know, take it, understand that that was a point of view. But ultimately, I mean, look, we've, we've had a pretty nice run here. So even like people that have written some pretty harsh stuff about me personally or this organization, I mean, net, net, it hasn't been too bad. That's the thing that I have found. And it kind of got into a point when I was operating and am operating a business is the reality is, and this is, and so I become totally empathetic and perhaps even worse sports talk host than I was beforehand is now I, <laughs> we need to have video of this while I'm do, saying these things, is that I realize that there are plenty of things going on that I can't say. And if I do, I'd be throwing people under the bus. And it's a tough spot. So you talked about people judging your thought process, but in reality, they're probably not judging your thought process because they don't have all the information that you have to get to that result. Of course not. And, and when you think about even a manager, and I say this as, as an example all the time, when we play a game, bullpen does not perform like they had hoped or someone didn't come in or someone wasn't used and Matheny gets blasted. And when he goes up in front of the mic, he does not say, well, I couldn't use Cecil tonight. I couldn't use Rosie tonight. I couldn't have used Lions tonight. He just, he just wears it. 
But there are days when pitchers can't pitch. Right. And it's interesting that that like no one ever protects him on that and he never throws a player under the bus. And that's what I mean about how difficult it is because he's working from a set of facts that he can operate under that no one else knows about. And it's his decision not to share it. It's his decision to protect his players. But that's the tough part. And it's just like for us, I mean, there's plenty of opportunities or deals that we think about up here that we chase that I think from a fan base standpoint would be super exciting, but we don't get it done. And, you know, how we go about it or why we go about it, I would hope that people understand we still put this franchise in our best interest. I mean, we've never done something with the intentions of it being bad. Yeah, yeah. You talked about what Matheny has to wear, and I feel like Tony La Russa did the same thing. Uh, even if he was, like when I read Three Nights in August, and I was down here every day during that season, and I'm going, oh my God, I didn't know 90% of this stuff. And I, yet I was right there the whole time. So how, how would you d- d- compare and contrast your relationship with Tony? Different situation. He had been here for 11 years by the time you were the GM, and your relationship with Mike, as far as contact, how often you're contacting each other, what the dynamic's like. Relationships were similar in the sense that I got to know Tony quite well over over that time period. But I was also quite respectful of his Hall of Fame career and certainly not someone that was going to go down and like question the moves he was making or why. I might ask him a question just for my own ability to learn. But, you know, he had a very strong relationship with Walt Jockety. They were they were partnered. They they had a lot of success together. And I I, I was cognizant of that. So I did not try to, you know, pretend I was anything other than who I was. And I, I tried to just find a nice balance and in, in working relationship. And I think we were able to accomplish that. And, you know, he certainly pushed me. He, he taught me a lot and, and helped me grow, which I'm, I'm very grateful for. Clearly when we bring someone like Mike Matheny in, the relationship is far different. I'm the one that has the experience. Um, he's the one that ha- is, is trying to learn and, and obviously getting taken from the environment he was in to put in this one, there was a lot to, to, to deal with. And I would say like, you know, we've grown close, um, but my job and my responsibility is, is to help that growth and hopefully uh, continue doing that. And, and so the relationships are definitely different, but um, both have been very rewarding. He was, you know, he was doing a radio show for my company when you hired him. And I was kind of surprised you didn't call me for like a referral or. Would it, would it surprise you? I didn't know that. <laughs> Or maybe maybe a better question. I'm sorry. This is a, this is a better question. Or I even care. It's fun. Fa- these are fun facts. I'm full of, of fun facts. So I, I I said I wanted to bring up golf. Uh, how much are you playing? How is the game? Because I am now enamored by it, and I feel like it's inevitable that, that you and I are going to meet in, for a championship or something. I doubt that. Okay. Um, so golf. Love to play it. Don't get to play it as much as I'd like to. Uh, down spring training do get out quite a bit, which Some is nice, nice tracks very much, very much. Um, but it's for me just getting to, to be able to step away from this environment and to do something on the golf course is very welcoming. You're a five. No, no, I'm not a single digit. Really? Mm-mm. Wow. You know, I was playing at the course that you may be familiar with in the St. Louis area and Keith Kachuk was behind me that day. Okay, very and, familiar. Yeah, and he and, and he was screaming at me throughout the entire time because he likes to play 18 holes in about two hours and 30 minutes, and he also was unhappy that I was wearing pants. 
and it was August. But I believe pants. I appreciate that. You Thank appreciate you. the pants. Sure. They shave strokes off your game. Helps. Thank you. Thank you very much for acknowledging. Remember, you look good, you feel good. That's you feel the name good, of the you game. play good, you play good, we pay good. But look at look at how you're, you're dressed, Natalie, and you're just pointed at the sea monster. <laughs> but the sea monster, I would say, is dressed second best in this room right now. I would probably be third, and you've got the bow tie going. I, I look like I'm ready to go you to a, like a tavern or both something. Both look casual. <laughs> Casually sloppy. So I'm, I'm going I'm to rip this off. I was listening to uh, Jerry Seinfeld on Howard Stern. You ever listen to Howard Stern? I do not. I, I could see you listening. I'd see you getting into it if you did, honestly. I do not. Okay. But the, so, and he asked this question. I feel like I can get a gauge on somebody when you ask this question. Three favorite movies of all time. Three favorite movies of all time. And if you're going to include The Godfather, I'd like to like. It's like asking your favorite Cardinal game of all time. Ah, it's game six of the 2011 World Series. So we already know that. So we're just going to move move it out. So if you say The Godfather, it's kind of already a step. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not one of those people that likes to like reflect on, like, if I had a moment in time, what would I do with it? Especially when it reflects on a movie. Mm-hmm. I just, because I don't watch movies. Really? No. I, I mean, I don't, look, I have a, my family, I have a daughter who's a freshman in college. I have a son who's a seventh grader. Um, I work quite a bit. So when I'm home, it's not the first thing I want to do is sit down in front of a, the television or You're podcasting go out to this show when you have a chance. So, yeah, I mean, my time in front of that is, is just rare. So I, 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 but what about when you were a young man? And you were, you were going to the man. theater and, and watching I mean, whatever, Taxi Driver oh. by yourself or something like that in Boulder. <laughs> you saw us a young weirdo, huh? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I mean, like, you know, like Animal House was funny. All right, I that's good. That. That's a good answer. Yeah, I, I, I'm just trying to, like, think of, like, classics. And... The Graduate. That's me. I'm The Graduate. And that, you know what? That happened to be Seinfeld's as well. It's kind of random, though. It's both before our time. If I can put my, myself in the same age category as... Is you God? I feel bad because there are some movies I like, but I'm just I'm the God. Is the Godfather in there? I mean, since you're, you're no, I was never one for for like just huge violence or or blood. I just not strong. Not with your that. thing. Not your yeah. thing. Yeah. So Animal House is the go-to answer. No, it's one. not. I feel bad. I just I'm, that just came to my mind. It's it's it was funny, but that's not. I don't think that'd be my first choice. Well, I, I think I want to text in my answer later. <laughs> text in your answer. We'll update it on my tag. I will. So along those lines, then three favorite cardinal moments. This will this will have to be easier. And or, or you can text in the answer. You can text in the answer. Uh, three favorites. Yeah. I mean, obviously, eleven, oh six, were were amazing. And on a personal level, being named GM. Yeah. Yeah. That had to be about as that's as big as they get. Yeah, when when a night like 2011 happens, I mean for real. Like sometimes, like if I'm like having a bad day, I'll pop on YouTube, and we'll go through the ninth inning of Game Six. I mean it is just it. it but you're the general manager living that. You're the general manager living that. I always say uh, success is fleeting, because um, I I, re- I recall that night very well. Um, I'm sitting there with Mr. DeWitt, one of his sons, Andrew, brought over a bottle. I think it was a Chateau Lafitte. Very nice. Very nice. Very nice. Um, we uh, we sipped it, but I, I, I recall just thinking about the next day. And I was just thinking about how we were going to tell the team Tony was stepping down, had a lot of emotions in my own mind. And then when you sit in my seat, you, you tend to always think about tomorrow more than you're thinking about the moment. 
It's interesting. It's like when Nick Saban wins a national championship and they ask him and he goes, well, I got to get out on the recruiting trail. And you're going, hey, man, enjoy it. It's hard to enjoy. Wow. Because it's it's to, to the point of your listeners or the fan base, they want to know what's next. And so when you sit in my seat, it's it's a moment in time, but you're already processing what's next. Yeah. And I guess in that case, had you lost game seven, then Tony's telling the team after game seven and losing the World Series. Double hit. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. I think we had agreed, though, we were going to wait till the next day regardless. Oh, yeah. I remember that whole October run, though, even went like as early as back in season, like if we didn't go to the playoffs, when we were going to do it versus when we were playing Philadelphia, how we were going to do right. it. Right. Right. And then, of course, we go to Milwaukee. It was just this all, every and, and so like. After a game, if we had won, I'd always just walk in and kind of smile at him and say, hey, we live for another day, Chief. <laughs> and then we keep going. And off we go. But so it was always something that was just on your mind. Yeah. How's it for your family? I'm curious. Um, you, have, you have a son who I guess I'm doing the math is 13? 12. 12, okay. I, I think my kids... Like to see their dad get ripped? You know, like my wife sees... <laughs> My well, lit up and now what do you what, what do you say? Well, for that, I mean, surprised. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> like I tell her, people just get in line. Um, I I think like we've done a I, I would like to think we've done a pretty good job of separating our kids growing up here in St. Louis from really what Dad does. I mean, there's there's obviously that connection and 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 people are aware of it, but. I mean, Allie was pretty funny. My daughter, like, I don't think she told people her last name very often. Whereas I, I think Will's a little bit more aggressive yeah. with that. <laughs> he gets out there, helps the cause. So, but, but net net, you know, like St. Louis is a great place to, to raise kids. It's uh, it's it's a been a fun place for them, and you you know, I think they're all grateful that their father, or their dad, got the opportunity to do what he does. Yeah. Well, we appreciate the time, sir. Thank you so much, Mo. Thank you. So we're done? Yeah. Well, I, I, All right, I, now we can celebrate. So there it is. The Cardinal president of baseball operations, John Mazalak, with us here on the Tim McKernan Show, courtesy of Ryan Kelly, the home loan expert, broadcasting from his studios, and also James Carlton, State Farm insurance agent and his agency in Webster Groves. Uh, a couple of thoughts that I want to just opine Upon, I was surprised that in the interview, he said that the, the priority is closer. I suppose when you look back on what kept the Cardinals out of the playoffs in 2017, you would say, yeah, it was the bullpen. I just feel like it's so clear that they're missing the proverbial impact bat in the middle of the order that, uh, that he said that the priority was closer at the same time it's not like he said so it's an either or proposition it sounds like it's all of the above it really does uh clearly i mean he he ranked them for you closer impact bat it sounds like it's kind of a coin flip there uh i just thought it was obvious that the impact bat was the bigger one but maybe they just don't feel like there's a solution to closer inside the organization so they're gonna have to be aggressive and get a closer and then uh potentially a starting pitcher but as i said leading into the interview reading between the lines uh if the thought process is, yeah, starting pitching isn't at the top of the priority list. We may look into it. Well, what that tells you is they're not going to be in the mix for Lance Lynn. Not that that necessarily surprises people at this point, uh, but that's my read on it. Now, maybe they'll sign Lance Lynn and people can make fun of me for this forever, but uh, that's my interpretation of it. I thought the Mike Matheny stuff was really interesting. Um, as, as I said in the interview, I remember Tony LaRusa being in that spot before the Cardinals won the pennant in 2004. I thought, uh, 
that he was really, I don't know what the right word was, but he, I don't think he was accepted by Cardinal fans. That's the, that's the term I would use. And then once he won a pennant, he was. And then two years later, he had a world championship. And now, and now uh, he is revered. So much so that when uh, it was announced that he was leaving the Diamondbacks at the end of October 2017, uh, a lot of Cardinal fans said, oh, it'd be great if he came back to St. Louis in some capacity. So that's an illustration of how it can change. And listen, let me make this clear, because I have a feeling some of the response I'll get, and I always like to get your feedback, Tim McKernan at InsideSTL.com, uh, is is that uh, because it's natural, Cardinal fans, when when things aren't successful, some Cardinal fans want uh, you know want to hear people, quote, held accountable, hashtag held accountable. Uh, but really, truly, even as much as I've disagreed with a number of moves Mike Matheny has made, in particular in the postseason and, and uh, with some roster construction in postseasons, the reality is, from my standpoint, you might disagree, is with the success the organization has had in his tenure, it would, it would, it just would strike me as odd, and I think it would strike the country as odd if the Cardinals fired him, even though I know there are plenty of people who want to see them part ways. I will say this. If they have a bad year in 2018, somebody's losing their job. That just that just has to happen, and it and it speaks to the frustration discussion we had uh, going into that. I do think the thing on the clubhouse stuff, while titillating, I just don't know how much it really matters when it gets down to it. Because as I said in talking with Edmonds in 2006, and this is before they won the World Series. Uh, he flat out told me that team was not close. And then you heard John Mozeliak go into detail on on him knowing that. Uh, and then the team rattled off a shocking world championship run over the next four weeks. Uh, I just think that's a fitting narrative when a team's winning, they're close clubhouse, and when they're losing, they're not. But I get that people like to talk about it, and, and they don't know. And hell, I don't know either. So understandably, uh, that that gets people talking. I just don't know how much in the whole scheme of things uh, – it really, really matters. So uh, along with that, I also uh, enjoyed talking about a variety of things with John Mazalak regarding criticism and how he handles it, how much he pays attention to social media. He acknowledges he reads it, whereas if you listen to the Gary Pinkle interview, somehow Gary Pinkle just does not read it. And I admire his ability to, as he said, block it out. Uh, but John Mazalak wants to be in the loop on what's going on and what fans are saying, and he thinks that's the right thing to do. And so he does, and uh, he's able to kind of separate the passion and some of the hate mail uh, from uh, being able to get feedback from fans that he considers to be valuable. So I thought that discussion was interesting as well. I value your feedback, who you want to hear on the show, if you want to advertise on the show, what you thought of this interview, whatever. Everything is welcome. I prefer the discussion. The emails are civil, but I'm used to getting hate mail. I've been doing this for a couple decades now, so you kind of get used to it. Uh, so uh, feel free. Send it in. T. McKernan at InsideSTL.com. Once again, thank you to Ryan Kelly, the home loan expert, and to James Carlton, uh, James Carlton Agency here in St. Louis. Uh, support the sponsors. That's the name of the game, and we'd love for you to become one of the sponsors as well. Email me if you're interested at McKernan at InsideSTL.com. So for my producer, John Seymour, the Seamonster, I'm Tim McKernan. Hope you enjoyed our conversation with the Cardinal President of Baseball Operations, John Mazalak, and we'll look forward to bringing another episode to you. This has been the Tim McKernan Show.